millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Rotor Report podcast in association with the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav and you join us on the back of Sunderland's loss away at Ipswich in the Championship. Unfortunately... Sunderland lost again and we are here to talk all about it because it was an action-packed game of football. Lots of controversial reaction after the game amongst the fan base and and yeah, people are just not feeling great at the minute. So we're here to bring everybody's mood up or down. I don't know, Martin, what we're going to do today. We'll see how it goes. Eh? <laughs> uh, joining us is Martin as always. Hiya, mate. Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm not sure which way this one's going to go. <laughs> It could go either way. I think, well, I, I think I know which way it's going to go. Yeah. There's a few things to pick apart, I think, isn't it? There is. There is. Well, going into the game, I was not expecting a win. I was expecting to lose. People can hear this back on the on the Friday Night Live we did on Twitter when Phil asked us right at the end what I thought the score would be. I think I was the only one who said Sunderland would lose the game. I just didn't feel confident going into it. I don't know if that's a slight on the team necessarily, Perhaps, you know, I was I was kind of worried about the hangover from the Newcastle match. Uh, that was one thing. And then on the other hand, although Ipswich, you know, haven't have been drawn more than they've been winning recently, they haven't been getting beat. And they're second in the league, or they were third going in, in the game, but eventually moved back into second place. But it's really been them and, and Leicester at the top of the table. So regardless of the fact they're Ipswich and they've come up from League One, you've got to respect where, where they're at in the table and what they've done. And that's why I just wasn't confident really going into the game. I thought it would be a step too far. I thought we'd be competitive. I thought we'd play, at least play a decent football and, and go toe to toe with them, which I think for large parts of the game we probably did. But I wasn't expecting to win the match. So coming away from it, while I'm a little bit deflated, I'm not, like, I, I kind of expected it. And I don't know how you feel or how you felt before the game, but I, I don't know. It, it kind of reminded me of where we're at now. Because whilst we're a, we're a decent team, we're nowhere near the teams at the very top of the table. And teams who have got momentum, I, I guess, in the, across the season, teams going for, for the automatic promotion spots, they find ways to win when they've not been playing very well. And that's what Ipswich did. We made it easy for them at times. You know, I think I think the defending for the second goal was shocking. And the whole lead up to the second goal was shocking. And we'll get on to that. We made it easy for them at times. But I'm not entirely shocked we got beat. It's just, it is deflating and disappointing because having gone ahead in the game, we had a real opportunity to to actually cement ourselves. I mean, even though it went to ones each, we had a great chance at 2-1 and we just, 
I, I think really for me it was a reminder of we're, just, we're good but we're just not good enough or we're not quite as good as some of these teams. Before the game, I didn't think we'd pick up anything. Um, obviously, we do the predictions on the um, on the website and I'd gone for a 3-1 win to Ipswich because I just didn't feel as if we would um, get anything out of that game. As you say, coming off the, the Newcastle game and I thought we'd try to do the same thing as we did against Newcastle and kind of try to keep it tight and, and not really offer that much going forward. And I... The fact that I wasn't confident about going to Ipswich and winning, you know, yes, they're up there in the league. Yes, they've only lost, what, three games, I think, in, in the entirety of the season so far. But it kind of says more about where we are currently with the manager that we've got, or the head coach, rather, that we've got. And the, the, the way the players are kind of feeling, I think the Newcastle game was so deflating. I think it's a really good word that you use, deflating, because I think the, the entire club feels as if it's been deflated. At the minute, um, I think there's a kind of lack of optimism and positivity. I think we're kind of seeing that on the field. Beal wasn't anybody's first choice as manager. I think there's an awful lot of um, fans didn't want him and and won't accept him. And you know, I've I've never seen a management sort of reaction like this since Howard Wilkinson was appointed, where it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, and we can look at the the game. And like I think you know, we actually did, we played all right in patches. I think both teams gave the ball away. Both teams made stupid mistakes. You know, I think Dan Neal said in his um, post-match interview, the amount of times the ball went out of play was was ridiculous. And you know, we we contributed to that. Yeah, I think you know, as you say, there were big turn points in the game where you know, if Aushish puts that one in the back of the net when he's just been brought on, that makes it two one to us. If we don't give that foul away, you know, it was a ridiculous foul to give away to, to give the, them the free kick for their second goal. Um, so, you know, it is small moments. And, you know, if you look at it really, really um, objectively, we've gone away to a side that's in the top two. And, you know, they will be up there at the end of the season, whether they get automatics or the playoffs, I don't know. But they will be up there in the top three or four at the end of the season. We've gone to their place, gave them a, a decent game, and we, we could have won. We could have got something out of that game. They were missing three or four key players. So I think you kind of got to factor that in. It was an entirely new midfield, wasn't it, that they put out, I think. Well, the, well their, their big, I think I think their big platform this season has been Luongo and Morsi, the two midfielders, and they were both missing. Yeah. That really that really we should have used to our advantage, I think. Well, we should be, uh, you know, we centre midfield's an area that we struggle in. We've, yeah. we've only got two players, really, who are considered first-team players to play there. So... Look, there's all sorts of things. So, from a contextual point of view, going in, into the game, on the evidence of the night minutes, I thought, like, look, we played all right. We could have played better. I don't think we threatened their goal anywhere near as much as I would have liked to. And I think that's one thing that you know feels done since he's been here. He's he's tried to make it as hard as it beat, and at the minute, we're sacrificing attacking intent. So you can argue that, and I think think it's about finding the right balance, isn't it, rather than one or the other. But like, what Gav, like, when the team was announced, right? You and I spoke after Preston, and Russell had scored. He'd made that run that only strikers can do. Get gets his debut goal for, for the club. Yeah, I thought he did all right. He certainly wasn't. Uh, he didn't turn in a shite performance against Newcastle. He wasn't the reason that we got beat against Newcastle. And I actually thought in the early stages of the, the Newcastle game, he held the ball up well. He came off and he showed something different up front as well. I thought dropping him was an absolutely pathetic decision. Because uh, how are you going to get a striker scoring? How are you going to get a striker getting confidence to score if you drop him after scoring? 
Like, yeah. it's absolutely baffling. Like, I just, as soon as I heard that, I was like, what What on earth are we trying to do here? Because we've tried Bellingham in front this season. And I, t- I tell you what, like, for Beal to come out with the, after the game and say, oh, we did play with a striker because Bellingham was playing striker. I'm sorry, that's just bullshit. Like, <laughs> we, we didn't play with a striker. And we went mm-hmm. back to what hasn't worked to try mm-hmm. to contain them. And I just think it absolutely fell flat. Yeah, the team selection was controversial. I mean, oh God, I went on to Twitter to... I don't go on much now, like, <laughs> but I went on to check the team, saw the comments below the, the post which the club put out at uh, an hour before kick-off with, with the start of 11. And my God, the reaction was... I mean, on one hand, you had people saying, Where, where's Rusin? But on the other hand, people absolutely laying into, into the decision to play Abdullah Bar, who actually, I thought, had a really good game, but... It, no, he did. It, it did raise him, eyebrows. He did. Really well. you know? he, did. he did. He had a he had a part in the goal, and I, I just think it was a more it was more like the type of bar performance we saw earlier in the season, where he was he was actually affecting yes. games and, and and looking pretty tidy. So I was pleased for him, but the team selection didn't go down well. And you're right, I can't get my head around why we didn't start with Rusin. I've been banging on and banging on and banging on. We have to start him and give him a run of games. He can't. You, you can't just take him in and out of the team. I know the the probably looking at it right, and they've went. Okay, Ipswich are going to have the ball a fair bit. We're the away team. We need an outlet. We need to be able to go back to front quickly. So we've got somebody up there to hit. But and to be fair, Bellingham in the first half, I think, I think I remember twice where he he plucked the ball out the air and 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 got us forward up the pitch, which is great. And I think there's aspects of his game where he does have some of the instincts of a striker. His timing's quite good. He gets into good positions, but he's not going to run beyond. He plays with his back to goal because he's not a striker and he's a big lad and he's been asked to hold the ball up. So really all we're doing is, we're, you know, we're, just, we're kind of using him as a as a foil, as a lump, but it doesn't get us forward much quickly yeah. because really the players around him aren't, you know, they're not making runs off him. It's not like we've got people bombing past him to, to get him behind or anything because they're, I, they're not centre no. forwards. They're wide players, they're midfielders, they're attack midfielders. They, they don't do that. So... <laughs> I think this is a telltale sign they're just not convinced with Rusin. I did hear a rumor, and this uh, this is this rumor has come from a good place. But like I, I did, I did hear they weren't convinced with him in training. That they're not totally sure about Rusin. And if that's the case, then you know we need to see a striker through the door sooner rather than later because it's getting frustrating now. We're, we're we're watching these games. They're trying attacking midfield players up front, not giving strikers runs of games, and it's affecting everything because. Bellingham. A lot of people are looking at Bellingham and saying, "Why is he not? Why is why is he starting so many games when he clearly needs to spell out of the team? He's struggling. He's you know he maybe looks well, a little bit tired. Yet he's still getting picked out of position and being asked to do a job out of position ahead of lads on the bet. We had three strikers on the bench. The the logic's baffling to me, to be honest. But the the train thing's interesting. That's what Beal had said. He said something like, "While Rusin's been doing it on the pitch." Bar's been doing it in training, so we we went with Bar, which completely defies any logic. Like you, you know, history is, and I think yes, granted, this is more of a thing that you hear in the eighties and nineties than than now. But you know, it was often stories of this player couldn't hit a barn door and train, but put him in the game, and he's electric. Yeah. And you know, yes, training's important, of course. Is I'm not I'm not saying it's not, but the evidence on on the field in a game is far more important than what goes on in the training field, to my mind. Right? Mm-hmm. And if Rusin's a, a striker, he's been given a chance and he's scored. And like, you've got all of the other factors around Rusin, right? He's come from a foreign country. 
his wife and his kid apparently are either still over there or have only just joined them. So they haven't been able to come over and be with him. So he's had a very unsettled period of time. He's scored his first goal after making you know a brilliant run to, to get there on the end of it. And look, I understand you know, the potential logic in you know playing somebody like Bellingham up there who can hold the ball up and you know be a target to aim at in the away game. But you know, on the flip side of that, I'd say in an away game, you need somebody who's going to be on the spot, who's going to follow things in, who's who's capable of turning that one chance into a goal. And we didn't have it. And no. you know, if you want Bellingham up there for his physical strength, you play him off Rusin, push him up when we've got the ball and want to go long. And otherwise, you you, you leave you put Pritchard somewhere else or drop Pritchard a little bit deeper. Like Equa's been out of form for God knows how long. You know, apart from his little Maradona turn he did yesterday. He's... By the way, that's that that is a real issue. I think we need a whole midfield player. Like you look at you look at what Ipswich oh, have done, right? They've they've went and took Travis off Blackburn, who wasn't playing for Blackburn, but he is just a traditional, hard nosed, captain style leader, middle of the pitch, wins the ball, a proper number six. They've gone out and signed him on loan from Blackburn, which you know you would think a bit of an eyebrow raiser. But that, they've done that because they need a whole midfield player. We've got to do that. We've got to yeah. go and find somebody because Neil, Neil and Neil and on whole midfield players. They're they're, they're no. number eight really. They they push forward more and are more effective further forward. At, at this point, I'd put O nine there. I'd put Silton in centre defence alongside Ballard or Elise. You know, if we had another left back, you'd push Elise along potentially. But I think it's worth considering Silton Ballard playing centre centre halves. And push O nine into midfield for a spell, because like we we haven't got anybody who'll just sit there and hold it, and it, it leaves gaps in in the midfield. And Ek has been out of form for however long. And look, he has little glimpses of form, and he you know, he has little spells in the game. I think he did yesterday away for five or ten minutes. He gets on the ball and he looks all right. And he's he's sharp, and then he'll just drift out of the game. By the way, that move you just mentioned before Martin, where he did the pirouette, that sums him up. To and be he honest. Gave it Cause, yeah, because he, he did the pirouette, he done two players with that, and then just looked weak as piss and gave the ball away. It, it's like, yeah. you look at him and he should be a monster in the middle of the pitch, shouldn't he? He's six foot two, six foot and three. He's, got, he's wide, yeah. he's, he's he's as wide as a fridge. You should be thinking, you know, he should he's be holding the, the ball in the middle of the pitch and battling and grafting, and then using the quality he's got to get us further up the pitch. But he's actually, he, he looks to me like a, I don't know, like a number 10 or in, like... It's weird. He's like a number ten or something trapped in a trapped in a hold midfielder's body because he just <laughs> he doesn't have the attributes to be a hold midfielder. And he might as the as as his career goes on. But I think one thing you've got to remember is that position has been unchallenged all season. So when he's been fit, he's played, yeah. and he well, hasn't shown any signs of developing into a hold midfielder. Or I, I kind of feel no. sorry for him in a way because we're asking him to do a job. I don't think he's equipped for. I don't think he's ever going to be a holding midfielder. Actually, I know I said he he could potentially be one further no, into career, but it's not his game. No, it's not, and it and it is affecting us because it's leaving us exposed on the counter when we need to dig in. We like it really annoys me when I'm watching us trying to scrap for fifty fifties and loose balls, and we we never seem to come out with the ball more often than not. It's like Neil does a bit. Neil Neil likes to get stuck in, but it's not his his strength. And then you've got because I thought Daniel was great. Yes, actually. Yeah, yeah, uh, but because the the midfield don't really do that job particularly well, you, you then have the likes of Ballard O nine and particularly Hume stepping into midfield to try and help win the the scrappy seconds and things like that, and like, yeah. it 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 makes us look unbalanced. That's that we we were talking about this menu a few weeks ago. 
about the, the lack of balance in the team. And I thought when we went to Rotherham, um, we looked really Im- imbalanced. We had Sealt and Hume as the fullbacks, and then no width at all on the pitch. And Beal yeah. in the game changed things to give us width. He gave us a focal point with Burstow going up front, who, like I said at the time, don't think he played very well, but he, he gave the defender something to think about. Um, and Because naturally he's been coached to sort of battle with defenders and run in behind and do all of those things off the ball that you need a striker to do to get you further forward and create chances and create openings and space. And it would be it would be difficult to ask an 18-year-old rookie central midfielder stroke 10, whatever the thing he is in Bellingham, to then go and do that job effectively. He tries his best. Yeah. Like I've got I I'm not singling Bellingham out for his performance because I actually think he did okay at times. I just think you can tell we're asking him to do a job he's not equipped to do. Uh, and, yeah. and you can look around the pitch and say, like I said, with Bellingham you see it, with Ekway you see it. To a degree, you see it with Barr, although I thought he played well. I think just generally across the span of games he's had this season, we, more often than not, he, he looks a bit lost on the pitch. So when we've got options on the... I mean, I was looking at the bench from the game. We had three strikers, as I mentioned. Rusin were talking player-wide, and he's got pace and he's got good movement. So you, you've got a wide option there. Oshish, apparently he's a 10, uh, although the best I've seen him was when... He came on as a sub. I think it was a QPR and he went on the left-hand side and he was putting balls yeah, in the true, box yeah. and things. He looked really good in that position. Bennett, who's just appeared off the face of the earth, who is different to any other wide player we've got, any other attack midfield player we've got. You know, he's he's not the best player in the world. He's going to do things that don't work. But he gets the ball wide. He takes his man on and he crosses it. Yet he has not been... He, where is he? Where the hell... Like, he, he's on and off the bench. He's not really playing any... He's not even getting five minutes here or there. Like, you look at the, the subs no. we brought on. Well, the, to me, they were all late in the game. I'm looking at that and thinking, get Bennett on, get somebody on the pitch and cross a ball. Just try something different. Like, this is one of the big frustrations for me, is that when the chips are down, we're not trying to drastically alter anything. Under Mowbray, he used to just flood the pitch with number 10s. That didn't work. Under Beal, against Rotherham, I thought he changed it effectively. But for the most part, like, and it happened in the Newcastle game, when you're looking at it and you're going, right, this isn't working, we don't like think, oh, okay, let's swap the wingers over even. You know what I mean? Let's go two up front. I know. Like, what? We seem to be really inflexible tactically, I think. It, this is a wider issue. This isn't just about the Ipswich game. Because, like I said at the very start, I didn't think we'd win this game. So, And we didn't win the game. So my prediction came true. You know what I mean? I'm just talking generally. You can see there's something not right with the way we're playing now. We've talked about this. Beal hasn't had a lot of time on the training pitch in recent weeks to to kind of get his ideas fully across. You can kind of allow him for that period over Christmas. But now I'm looking at him thinking, okay, so what are we trying to do differently? Little tweaks, that's all we need. And to me, it's, I'm looking at him thinking, I think we're clearly lacking players in a couple of positions and we're not going to see actual any change until, until we get those players through the door. So it could be a long couple of weeks, this until the window's done and, and we get people through the door, if we get people through the door. But like we, we've seen earlier in the season, last season, right, that this group of players, and it's, it's primarily the same group of players, is capable of playing really attractive attacking football, is capable of scoring goals. Like There's periods of time last season, even without a striker, I remember you know, me, you and Chris having conversations on, on the podcast going, you know, we'd fancy us to score against any team in the country with the attack that we've got, with the way that we were playing. And it's the yeah. same group of players. We haven't lost too many players. Yes, Ross Stewart's gone, but Ross Stewart was out all season last season, pretty much. And look, I'm I'm not 
somebody who's going to sit here and be a revisionist because you know towards the end of Tony Mowbray's time here, we we weren't picking up points. We were turning similar performances to what we did yesterday. We weren't showing the same attacking intent as we were. The problems that are evident now were evident then. So it's not like it's not case, and I think. This is you know, got to be really clear about this that Tony Mowbray was doing everything brilliantly. Beals come in and is doing everything. Everything's gone to shit. It's not like that. It's a continuation of the there, problems. There is we... a bit of a narrative going going through some fans. No, there by is, the way, but it's, it's not. I, I would challenge it a little bit online with with people kind of. I would challenge it because yeah. look, Mowbray, Tony Mowbray has played some of the best, probably the best football I've ever seen us play since I started going to the games in the eighties. Absolutely, right? yeah. So. You have that, and I, th- I thought he did. You know, overall did a really good job. We've gone through, it and we don't need to pick over the bones of, of Tony Mowbray's sort of departure from the club. But in the last two or three months, or two months of Mowbray's reign, the problems that we're seeing now, we're seeing then. So this isn't all on Beal. What I would say though is that we haven't seen. I was hoping you know, the, the, whoever we replace Mowbray with, and that's always the thing, right? The decision to get rid of Mowbray. You have to take that in isolation and go, okay, over the last couple of months of his tenure, we weren't doing X, Y, and Z. And obviously there was some stuff going on behind the scenes, which I think was primarily what um, led them to the decision that they made. What happens subsequently doesn't necessarily impact the, whether that was a right or wrong decision. Beal has come in, and I, like, I, was, I was hoping that we'd get somebody in who was able to take what Mowbray had done and t- tweak it. Because, you know, again... You and I talked when Mowbray was sacked. We actually just, there wasn't anything going seriously wrong. We just needed a couple of tweaks of what we were doing. And to me, that was a bit of tactical smartness. And we actually saw it, and I'm not saying Mike Dodds would be the saviour of, of football or anything like that, but we saw it um, in those two, you know, the West Brom and Leeds game, didn't we, when Dodds was in charge, where we made little tactical tweaks mm-hmm. to what we were doing. And you could see an instant improvement. And to me, it seems if Beals come in and tried to change too much too soon, He's tried to go back to basics almost and go, right, we need to be really solid. We need to do this. And it's been to the detriment of our attack. Now, if you look at the goals that we've scored since he's come in, I think, you know, the whole game, Clark's pulled one out of the bag. The um, Rotherham game was a deflection. Preston, we've had Pritchard's goal, which is a, a wonder strike. And then we had that goal from Rusin after Clark's run, you know, the length of the pitch pretty much and rode a couple of tackles. And then we had... The one yesterday, which again was a really good goal from Clark from outside the box. I'm probably missing the game somewhere along the lines there, but we the goals that we've scored haven't been where we cut teams apart and been really well worked goals. Have been moments of individuality, and that concerns me because like earlier in the season we were creating so many chances as a team, and we just weren't putting them away. And I think you know it, it's it's worrying for the rest of the season for, for me, and I think. It's going to be so interesting how we approach the next two weeks because I say the team now. If you look at the team, just you know that that game, the last couple of games, you go well. They need a centre midfield player to, to hold the the midfield. They need a striker to have a target there and to to get in the end of chances and hold the ball up and link play. But I actually, th- I actually don't. I, th- I think we do need those players. Don't get us wrong. But I think there's something else not quite right, and whether that's solved by bringing in two or three new players. I don't know. Well, I was I was gonna say there that I think the way to solve it ultimately is you're bringing players who are actually ready to play and and contribute immediately. That's got to be a big thing, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, so when you hear the name Kifamua straight away, you're like, yeah, great. Yeah. I could see him if we signed him, he would start straight away because he's better than everyone else we've got. 
He's proven at this level. He's probably fit and ready to go. He'd be ideal. Same with a holding midfield player. Just because that, I, I, when you look at it, we can't afford to bring in another sort of three or four kids who aren't going to be able to play or contribute. No. Because the ones that they've brought in before this batch, of the, before this window effectively, the likes when you look to the to the bench, you know, we've got Burstow, Rusin, Oshish, Samedo, Bennett, Sealed, Triantis. You know, that's seven players there who have, have not long been through the door at the club and none of them are ready to play yet. Yet, you know, even in the case of Bennett, uh, he's been here a little bit longer than the rest of them. Matete was on the bench too. But those players aren't pushing for start. No. I, I don't sit here and I go, we, we've lost a few games or this player hasn't played particularly well. I, I, I think Matete will come straight in because he won't. Like, I, you know, Matete is not going to start games. There's been no indication while he's been here that he's going to get picked ahead of any of the centre midfielders we've got. Um, likewise, the others, you know, if, if if Ballard had a poor game or or whatever, I wouldn't fancy them to drop him and bring someone else in. Whilst we've got a big squad, there's no actual real competition for places, is there? Really, there's, when you look across no, the entire spectrum. There's not. And, you know, we've, I think we've looked at the positives of the approach that the club have been taking over the past two or three years. And look, if you come out with the, sort of the micro moment that we're talking about now, over the course of the, of the three years, it, it's worked, right? You bring players in who have potential, but those players have also got to be ready to contribute now. And we're playing at a different level now to what we were playing at two seasons ago. So, you know, you've got to balance that um, that youth and that promise and that potential with some form of ability and experience to come in right now and do a job right now. And any player that we bring in in January has to be ready to start the next game. Like I think that yeah. we've got to be as clear-cut as that. Now, the, the interesting thing with all of that is that's exactly what Tony Mowbray said after the Millwall game. He needs experience. He needs players who can start, who can come in, who he can rely on. And that seemingly kicked everything off that led him to be to be sacked, or that was the culmination of conversations that had, had led him to, to be sacked. So, you know, is it a case that actually this all, all of this has done over the past few weeks? And all you know, we were only talking a matter of, what, three weeks since Beale was appointed. He hasn't been here for very long. But we've already got to the point where we go, shit, yeah, He's right, and you know. To be fair, I think the vast majority of sports could see that we needed a bit more of sort of first team ready players coming in, you know, and that's a difficult thing for for Speakman, isn't it? Because if he now sanctions a move for Kiefer Moore, sanctions a move for you know another experienced midfield player to come in, for example, and maybe somebody else, Tony Mowbray is going to be looking at, and everybody else is going to be looking at, going, well, why didn't you just let Mowbray do that? Because that's what we were, <laughs> that's what he was asking for. So it's it's a really hmm. testing time. For the club now, and I think, you know, it's almost, um, you know, Beale's appointment um, has kind of almost brought to the boil all of these issues that were bubbling under for a while that we were able to kind of get by with because we were playing relatively well and getting some points on the board. So mm. it's going to be a very testing time over the next couple of weeks. And, you know, I think we've got three out of four home games in the next four, four fixtures, three of them at home starting on Friday against Hull, which is going to be a hard game. And, you know, you're looking at that game going, if, if we don't play well and get three points in that game, that atmosphere could be poisonous because yeah. it's just got that feeling. Like, right, you can argue rightly or wrongly, and I think, you know, it's kind of been, I, I don't know, it's, I can understand why it's kind of turned like that. So, but on the other hand, it's, it's really puzzling to some extent why mm. it's turned so quickly. 
And I think it's it's down to the popularity or, or otherwise of the the manager. Um, but you know you've got to get a couple of players in who are ready to come into the first team, and we've got to you know those three home games that we've got, we need to win two at least two of them, if not all three, because otherwise yeah. I just feel this is going to blow up really really quickly. Yeah, it's it. There is a very weird feeling about the place, and and I agree with you. I think it's all to do with the popularity of the appointment, whether you whether you wanted him in, which I don't think I saw anybody who was like jumping for joy when Michael Beale got no. the job. Uh, but the, there is kind of two camps. You've got the ones who were totally against it and like just are never going to accept him as the manager. And then I guess there's the other camp, which I would say I probably fall in, which is like, well, I didn't really want him, but, you know, clean slate and, and we'll, you know, get me best wishes as he starts and we'll see how it goes. And like... I gave him that period of grace, obviously, over Christmas because I just think it would have been difficult for him to really amend too much. He did make us a little bit harder to beat. You know, we, we kept a couple of clean sheets in the games like against Hull and Preston. It is that. And that, and that's never going away, by the way. That's never no. going away. I think every time we don't win a game of football, there's going to be a massive overreaction, rightly or wrongly, to the result. Like, when you take the, this result in isolation, we've went away from home, away from all season, even under Mowbray, was poor, by the way. Yeah. So we've went away from home to play the team second in the... Ipswich will get promoted, in my opinion. Not based on what I saw yesterday, but just based on the, the season they've had so far. I think that if even if it's third place to finish in, I fancy them to win the playoffs. So we've went away from home to a team who have won a hell of a lot of games this year and fallen short. And, and kind of, like I said, I expected to lose. So not, nothing surprises us in that regard. But then the reaction afterwards wasn't just because of the result. It was because people did people who don't want them anyways have used that then to fuel that sort of hatred they have towards them or whatever, um, rightly or wrongly, like I say. But that's never going away. That's never going away. I've got, you know, this will happen every time we don't win a game of football. There'll be a proper serious reaction to the result on the pitch. And that's what I'm worried about with these home games coming up is that, you know, I, the Coventry game sticks in my mind. Yeah. The way that went, you know, it does feel like people are waiting to bubble over, and yeah, I and, don't know what's going to happen with that because well, what you know they're not going to sack him other. They've just, they've just well, given the job. It's not like he's going to get sacked straight away. I, so. History suggests it only ends one way for for anybody in that situation. Now, I've never seen anybody come back from any manager come back from a, a feeling like that, and you know that appointment should have united everybody, players, fans, everybody. And at least being united in that neutrality of, right, somebody's here, let's give him a go. And yeah. I would actually say, I'm with you in that. Like, I think, you know, he's here. You've got to let him have a have a crack at it and, you know, hope he brings some, some improvement to it and hope he impresses. I think, you know, I, I was relatively on the fence with it and relatively okay with what he'd done up until the Newcastle game. I thought he was disastrous in, in that game, the way that we approached it from a tactical point of view. But it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem right, and even if he, you know, he saw the reaction of Pritchard when he came off, and those subs, by the way, were his subs. Yes, it was baffling in a different way. Tony Mowbray's were baffling, like the, the the ones he made. Bar was, I know Bar had been booked, which I think maybe was why he took him off. But Bar was having a good game. He was he was threatening him down down that side. Pritchard was pretty influential in what we're doing to bring strikers on. It's like he brought Burstow on with two minutes left. Like you know, I'm not a fan of Burstow. But you've got if you're going to give him a chance, give him a chance. Don't give him a token ninety seconds at the end of the bloody game. But Pritchard's mm. reaction when he came off, 
suggests things aren't quite as happy as they could be. And look, that could have been Pritchard frustrated with the, the foul that um, she had given away and having to... Yeah, he was, he was pointing down that he was pointing down the pitch at something, he was. wasn't he? I don't. I, we need we need somebody who's adept in lip reading, lip reading to, <laughs> to tell us what, tell us what was said there. By the way, we haven't we haven't actually talked about the goals at all, so we should probably do that before we go anywhere. The first one, obviously, we scored came after a, a a bit of a spell where it was kind of back and forth, wasn't it? Neither team were neither team were really taking control of the game. Um, and I mentioned before about Bar, you know how I thought he did really well. It was on him that goal. Really, I know it was a good finish from Clark. Yeah. But Barr skips from the right wing past people, and we've seen him do that. Like he's got that ability to take people on with a bit of confidence. You know, maybe maybe that's something to do more regularly. But he cuts inside, plays it across the clock, and I don't know whether it's a combination of just how quickly he hits it. Maybe the goalkeeper expecting him to try and whip it to the other side, which is generally what Clark does. But he he puts it the complete other side. The goalkeeper who never really moves does he, and it's, it's well hit, and it's a it's a really good strike from Clark, confident strike, um, and I. At that point in the game, I didn't really expect the goal, if I'm honest. Like, I don't know. It was probably going to be a goal like that, wasn't it, where we just kind of do something out of nothing. And it just shows you, by the way, it just shows you that when you when, when a wide player does something tricky, then releases it, we can score goals. Because oh, exactly. there's been so many times this season where I've watched Roberts didn't do people like that and then release right. the ball far yeah. too early or try and, try and sort of come into the box before cutting it back, by which point... There's kind of six or seven players still on the edge of the box trying to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, I, th- I thought Barr did a good job of just cutting across the pitch and getting it to him because they didn't see it coming at all, did they? They'd obviously the double mark Clark, but because the ball was on the other side of the pitch, people had paid less attention to him. He gets the ball, and then before anyone can get there, really quickly puts it into the in the back of the net. It was a it was a lovely goal to be fair in isolation, wasn't it? It was a nice goal, and I think you know a few minutes earlier, Clark had had a shot from a similar position, hadn't he? And the goalkeeper had dived to his left early expecting Clark to do what he does and steer it around. And he got actually got lucky because he saved it with his feet because Clark went the other way. So, or, or he mishit it. I'm not sure if he deliberately went sort of straight or whether he slightly mishit and didn't catch it right. But the goalkeeper got lucky because he saved it with his feet. And I think when the ball fell to Clark in that position that we scored from, I think the goalkeeper was caught in two minds, whether he was going to go across him or go to his near post. Yeah. And he actually just ended up doing nothing. He actually just ended up standing there and... Um, Obviously, we benefited. Clark struck it really well. As I say, Barr was um, did great in in the build up to it. And look, I, I've been critical of Barr, and I, I still don't know where he, where he, what he is as a football player. I couldn't tell you, you know, if you're putting the, an eleven together, where Barr should play, because you know I don't think he's a a ten. Could he play deeper? I don't know. He's got the discipline for it, and I think his don't, strength lies in yeah. that unpredictability. I don't think he's. I don't think physically he would be. He doesn't look like. No. He was signed as a holding midfield player. Just maybe, maybe that was because he played there as a kid or whatever, and it's less physical. But nothing about him suggests holding midfield to me. He's skinny no. and small, isn't he? And he? But he's got good technical ability. But you know, he, he kind of drifts in from the the wide area, so he's not the sort of wide player who's going to go down down the byline get across in. So he's a funny player to kind of really pinpoint where he, where he's going to end up as a the sort of longer term position. But he's got that unpredictability to you know, and he, it can be. Great, or it can be awful, can't it? But yesterday, I thought he did. He did well, and I think he needed to play from the start in an away game. Yeah, and he he did well. So I'm I'm pleased for him because that should give him a, a bit of a confidence boost. Yeah, but again, it's it's a Clark goal out of nothing, and really, I think there's probably him and Pritchard in our team who could score that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So again, we're kind of relying on 
that individual moment of magic rather than working a goal as a team that you know the, the team can score. So, but you know, I'm, I'm just praying that he's he's still here come the first of January because he's he's so important to what we need to to do. No, absolutely, he is. And did you see that XG chart that Sky posted? By the way, yeah, it was horrific. If if there's any anything much more needed than to just look at that to see what the problem is with the, the overall play it you know unreal really it was basically yeah. jack clark way ahead and then everyone else massively underperforming oh, he's, which, he's we, which we knew us. which we knew but it, when you see it written down and, and you see the figures it doesn't half bring it home to you like i mean it's and crazy gav the thing is with, with that as well if, if you're jack clark obviously we we'd love to keep and build a team around him surely but if you're jack clark you I think if if he was playing for you know Leicester, Ipswich, Southampton, he probably wouldn't push for a Premier League move now, because he go well we can go up this season and be better off. But where he is right now with what's going on around the club and the you know, the general despondency around the club, like does that change how he's thinking about January? Well, because I, I think it could. Well, I was I was thinking about this and I was thinking at the same time though he's in a situation where he's playing for a big club, and he's the main man. And everything's going through him. He's getting all the attention. The reason he's getting attention is because of his performances for Sunderland. But you take him out of our team and you put him in a team who maybe don't play through him like we do, and put him in a team where not everything's built around him. And you put him in a team where maybe he's got a player in his position also who's really strong and pushing for a place. Do you get the same Jack Clark? That's the other thing. Like when he's looking at it, is is January the right time for him to move when? He could have another half a season where he gets another boatload of goals and assists and whatever else, and then comes away from it and is an is an even better player as a result and an even more attractive prospect to a to a buying club. That's the other side of it. Is if he went to another team, is he going to be the same player that he is at Sunderland? That that's the other thing he's got to think about. I think you'd have to fancy yourself, wouldn't you, to to achieve that? And you know, it's it's worth remembering that when he arrived here. He he wasn't the first. He was playing right wing back some games, wasn't he? He wasn't an automatic first no. choice on on the left hand side. We didn't give him free reign. We didn't build the team around him, play through him. He's built that and earned that and deserved that. So my feeling about it when in, in the run up to January was really if he was going to get a move or a club was going to come in for him, it would be a club in relegation trouble. And then you have to weigh that up whether it's worth you know, three or four months of Premier League football to potentially end up back in the Championship mm-hmm. next season. But I actually think now some of the clubs that have been linked with them, you know, the likes of West Ham I've seen, Everton I've seen, you know, their clubs who are, you know, whether it's now or in the summer, would actually be the right move yeah. for him. I don't think going to a Man City or something would be a good move for him because he just sits on the bench and end up like um, well, Calvin Phillips and people like that have ended up at a top yeah. team. But if you go to a, a team that's kind of comfortable mid-table in the Premier League, Within a few months, he you know you you wouldn't have the expectation to go in there and do something immediately to save them from relegation. Be given time to establish yourself, and I actually think you know that I think that's where he'll end up. And I think, look, the, the reality is, if we don't go up the season, which is looking unlikely at, at best at the moment, he's going to be off in the summer. So it's whether he's off now or off in the summer. And if he if he goes off this month, the club will have you know done it because they get the money in now. It's a really good deal because you know people pay over the odds in January compared to the summer sometimes, and we can reinvest that or some of that money now because you know they might get to the point where they think, well, you know, as we've said, we need two, three, four players who are ready to come yeah. in the first team right now, and 
it's it's going to be one to watch because I think if a serious bid comes in, if we get twenty million quid bid on the table, I think we take it. Well, and you can argue whether that's mm, right or wrong, but I think we'll take yeah, it. We'll see, won't we? I, I hope not. But uh, there we go. I hope not too because he's he's a sort of talisman. He's the first player yeah. that we've had for a long time that is just outstanding, and you, you enjoy watching playing. I think his attitude's brilliant. He's he's really durable as a footballer. He never misses a, a minute, and he's he's showing such a good attitude and such a positive um, impact on on the club. And that's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because like, if, if we'd come away yesterday and we'd won 2 or 3-0, played really well, Clark gets 1 or 2, gets an assist, you kind of go, well, of course he's going <laughs> to stay here because we're, you know, we're looking likely for yeah. promotion. But the longer... It's, and it's just this feeling of like despondency, malaise, whatever it is around the club, you kind of you start thinking, well, he's going to be off if he gets a chance. Mm. And it's... It's um it's frustrating really because we we should be you know we have built the team around him yeah and we should be buying players to complement him not to replace him yeah the Ipswich goals then before we go we'll run over these quickly the first one I, I thought was we're a, talking about the goals yeah I thought the first one by Caden <laughs> Jackson was a lovely finish but the way it gets through to him just I think it's actually unlucky it, it deflects off Etwell massively and then totally wrong foot to nine as a result and I can't blame all nine for that you can't have seen that coming it just sort of. No. Blasts off it, where puts Jackson on goal. Who gambles? Importantly, that's an you know. I, I was listening to him sort of talk about his his scoring record because it's poor for Ipswich, but that kind of run is what strikers give you because he he gambled, yeah. he kept running, he, he he moved so that he was in a position where he could be dangerous, and then the ball falls to him. He didn't know it was going to fall to him, but it did, and then he he finishes well. Kind of look at that and you go, oh God's sake, you know, fair enough. First time in a while I've maybe looked at a goal and went. You know, really unlucky from us, maybe. Um, but the second one, I mean, you mentioned the Oshish miss briefly earlier, but at one all, he's got a brilliant chance to make a two one to us. I don't know how he missed it. I even well, get it on target. He just puts it, so it spoons it wide. It's it's a terrible miss. And then not too long later, gives away a free kick, a, a stupid free kick, which he didn't need to give away. The lad's going absolutely nowhere, facing towards the crowd, out on the touchline, fouls him anyways gives the free kick away, and then the smallest man on the pitch heads the ball at the back of the net. <laughs> I mean, it's a lovely header, but he nobody challenging him, nobody marking him. They showed an angle from behind the goal, and I, and I tried to watch who was supposed to be picking him up, and we were marking zonally, yeah. um, but the nearest man to him was Ballard, and he was absolutely nowhere near him. Like, Ballard's no, a good five yards away from him. It's no, just it's incredible. It's, it's, it's so poor, it's unreal. And we've actually, when you look at our record this season, our record of defending set pieces is, is all right, actually. We've we've got one of the better records in the division when it comes to defending and attacking set pieces, which I never realised until I actually seen that written down. So you, you kind of expect us to deal with that fairly well because it's a it's it's a it's a decent ball, but it's not like a ball which is totally wrong footed everybody. But the the thing is, is the the guy who wins the header is just he's allowed to do it. He stood there in eight as a space, nobody challenging for the ball, and I don't know who that's on because yes, we're marking the the edge of the box zonally. But Dan Ballard's closest man to him and, and has got a good foot on him and should be winning the ball. And um, yeah, it, it was just terrible from us. I, I can't believe not only we gave away the chance to, to the free kick to, for them to then have the chance to cross it, but then for there to be nobody around him. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, I mean, I know when you look at the height of him, you think, well, he's not worth marking maybe, but it's just, it's so poor. It's so poor from us. And Yet again, we're sat talking about a, a Sunderland own goal here. Not not actually an own goal, but an own goal in terms of just shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah. And 
and and just allowing this to happen. It it it's nearly every game where you're coming away and you're just left frustrated by just mistakes, stupid errors. There's no way a, a lad who's five foot five should be scoring a header from a set piece, free header at that. So that's one of the most frustrating goals we've conceded this season by by a long stretch. I was so pissed off watching that. Oh, it was pathetic, really defensively, and I am I'm probably a traditional football supporter in in the sort of terms of how you mark and to me you you, you mark man for man and you you've got a man and you you know you have a couple of players on on the posts and you, you do it that way but you know teams like to zonally mark and we we've been doing it for for a while now and Mowbray as well but I just don't understand how any you know whether you're marking man for man, man for man or whether you mark zonally I just don't see how we can leave somebody free like that mm-hmm. as you say it was it was four or five yards away from the nearest defender and whatever however you're setting up Something's gone terribly wrong there, but you know, I was having the conversation last night after the game, and yeah, we we did. We've talked about, it, haven't we? How many times we we concede goals that we should prevent, but you only talk about them more if we haven't scored at the other end. And if we scored a couple of goals and won that game three two, yeah, you go, ah, oh, we could have been a bit tighter there, but we wouldn't be looking at it so much, and we would it wouldn't be directly responsible for us losing points because you know it's, it's balanced out by some attacking thing. If we're not going to attack as much as we were, and we're not going to score goals as much as we should be, then we've got to be absolutely spot on defensively because we can't afford to give away a single goal. And I think that's the stage that we're at now. We're going so tight and defensive. We have to be spot on. Mm. And we can't, like, one, if we concede one goal at the minute, I just don't fancy us scoring two or three in, in response to it. Mm. So, yeah, it was, it was crap. And uh, we, Another area to improve, and I think you know, through all the plaudits that we've given Ballard this season, I think he's a terrific centre half. But he had he had a good game last weekend against Newcastle, but was responsible for for giving away a couple of goals. I thought he did well yesterday in you know the physical battle and bringing the ball out and all that sort of stuff. But again, I think he's cost us a goal there again. But as I say, those goals that that we concede and we give away become ever more important when we we haven't got the striking power at the other end to, to compensate for it. Yeah, yeah, it, you're right. Yeah, you kind of notice these issues more as a result of the just the overall problems the team have. Yeah, um, and, and And you know what it is. I'm like, like I say, I, I think whilst we all, you, you've got it before, that there is a feeling of malaise and, and maybe apathy about the fan base yeah. at the minute. You, like we, we beat Hull, we beat Preston. Those are two brilliant results. Two clean sheets, two wins against two teams around us in the table. Like those are brilliant results, but it it, it almost feels as though win, winning games helps, but it's not going to help everything. We we really do just need to draw a line under this striker thing. We need to bring somebody in who's going to be able to immediately impact on games. And then you look around the rest of the pitch. We're probably short at fullback. We 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 definitely need a hold midfielder and. Nobody really knows whether Corey Evans is going to be fit anytime soon, and if he is, it would be a big ask for him to come well, in after no. what's been what like a year out to come he, back. He won't in. Play. I don't think he'll play again for us. No, so we we have to find these players, and they have to be ready to play. Like I'm, I'm all for the way we recruit. I love it. I think I think it's great. You know, in a year's time, we might look at some of these players who aren't really pushing at the minute, and we might look at them and go, "Bloody hell, you can see why they persisted with him." Job in particular, you know, I think about Dan Neal a couple of years ago. I remember me, you and, and Chris doing pods and coming away after and thinking, you know, I just 
we, we don't really get Dan Neal. Yeah. We don't understand. But then you look at him now, after playing whatever amount of games he's played in the first team, how much better he looks as a result. That is the point, isn't it? The point is they're trying to make these players into better players who can then do a bit more. But imme- there is an immediate need for something in this squad. You can see the impact. Like Pritchard, for me, last season was poor, but we've become very reliant on him this season. And it just shows that you can't substitute what those type of players do bring because you know with Pritchard, if he's not starting a game, you can bring him off the bench and you know what you're going to get from him. You don't always get that with younger players. So I do think that the feeling that's about the place at the minute will be remedied to a degree. Yes, we're winning games, but also by just getting that striker through the door, getting a player who can immediately contribute. And then everybody feels a lot better about everything because we're all looking at it now and going... It's another week, it's another week, it's another week without a, a centre-forward on the pitch or somebody who we can really hang our hat on. As much as I like Rusin, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that the reason he's in and out of the team and barely played much this season is because they're not particularly set on him. Now, we need, we need, we need to remedy that sooner yeah. rather than later, whatever that is. Well, you know, there's, there's a couple of things there, isn't there? I think you know, with Rusin, if they're not set on him, that raises questions about the work that's gone into bring him to the club because we chased him for an awful long time. He wasn't a a last-minute um, panic buy, we, we'd researched him and done all of the, the due diligence that we, we do on signing. So um, that brings questions about that. But, you know, the I, I'm a big fan of the way that we're going about things as well, Gavin. I think, you know, the, the thing that needs to be balanced in the whole argument, the whole discussion about the, the model and the approach, it it's not an either-or. Like, you know, we, we the young players that we bring in, we don't have to just sign young players who could be good in two or three years' time. We can sign players who are ready now as well, and I think we have done to some extent, but we can complement them with some experience to help them develop because they're, they're more likely to develop more quickly if they've got some experience alongside them. And, you know, we talk about Dan Neal, a perfect example of how he's developed over the last couple of seasons. You know, up until a year ago, he was playing alongside Corey Evans, an experienced player. Evans comes out of the team, Neal steps up, but he's got that initial experience alongside somebody who's played 400-odd games, who's who knows the league like the back mm-hmm. of the hand. Um, you know, and conversely, spending money on players doesn't mean that we're going to chuck away 5 million, 6 million, 10 million, 50 million quid. You know, if you buy the right players and do the recruitment right, those players can can deliver enormous benefit to the to the club as well. Come in, they're ready. They can either help us get promoted. They can, you know, you might go, well, we'll spend 5 million on Kiefer Moore. You know, I don't don't think we'd spend that much money on a thirty-one-year-old. But you know, for argument's sake, I'd spend two million on him. He could potentially help develop Hamia into a twenty million pound striker by having somebody to train alongside every day. So it's looking at the the overall benefit of things, and you know, spending money isn't bad. You know, if they're the right player who can add value to the team right now, we should be spending money to bring them in. But you know, I think we've kind of maybe focused a little bit, and I think to be fair. Like the club have spent money. I think the you know the notion that we haven't spent money is incorrect. The you know the vast majority of transfers that we do involve us paying fees for people, but often fees aren't disclosed. Mm-hmm. that's the thing. Bellingham's cost millions of pounds. I think Silt was reportedly a couple of million. Rusin, Rusin too. So you know he we was, are. He was a few million. Ru- yeah. Rusin. So we you know we have spent money. So I think the, the the notion that we aren't spending money is incorrect. I think as you said, we've said from right from the top, bringing in two or three players now who can come into the team immediately and improve us on the field immediately is what we absolutely need to do in the next two weeks. Yeah. And I think there's no getting away from that fact. 
And as I say, it's ironic that that was pretty much what Mowbray was saying at the end of his tenure. And we just need to see how how it pans out with um with, with Beal in charge. Mm. And but as you say, I think you know if, if we can res- results impact everything, right? And if we can get three or four wins on the bounce, start playing some attractive football that like we were playing at the start of the season and last season, start playing some of that type of football, then you know things calm down a bit, buys Beal a bit of time, and he could you know, he could turn out to be he could turn out to be a brilliant manager for us. But we, he he just needs to get runs runs on the ball, get some points on the ball because he's started in so much sort of negativity. He's got an awful long way to go to get get to that neutral point that the vast majority of managers would start with. Mm. So he's kind of, he's behind the the eight ball, isn't he, the, to begin with? So yeah, it's going to be you know it's going to be interesting to see how we we you know we've got what two and a bit weeks until the end of the transfer deadline. Got some big games coming up in that space of time. Yeah, it's it's a massive couple of weeks. Yes, massive couple of weeks for the clubs. It is. Yes, and onwards to Hull we go. So we'll be back mm. probably around the whole game. I'm not sure when we're going to pod next, but uh, hopefully talking about three points after that game. We need it so desperately. Don't we? It's just yeah, we've got to, we've, we've got to win that one. So let's see. Anyways, hopefully it'll lift our mood if we do. Because not I'm not enjoying <laughs> that at the minute coming on the air and talking and and just sort of like talking about how. How deflating everything is. We need a, a rousing victory. It wouldn't surprise you if we done like a remember Phil Parkinson's first game when we we won five nil something daft like that. <laughs> bound to happen at some point because it's us. Anyways, That'd be nice. Anyways, cheers, Martin. Thanks for joining us, mate. Appreciate it. Cheers to the listeners. Thanks as always for listening to the end. We really appreciate it. We'll be back around the whole game. So make sure you tune in for that one, and we'll catch you later. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.